Hello, and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, this podcast takes on a horror trope and explores this in depth through discussions with special guests. Currently on our main season, we're looking at vampires, and previously we've covered witches and female monsters. Alongside our main season, on the podcast, we also cover selected new films or series that we really, really want to talk about. And every so often, I get to chat to the filmmakers who made them. Today's bonus episode is kind of like that, but with a twist. Because in this episode, we're not covering a new horror film or a new horror TV show, but instead the horror audio series Sour Hall, directed and written by Laura Curran Ashman and available on Audible. For those of you who haven't heard about Sour Hall yet, for anyone who's not heard about this yet, Sour Hall is the folk horror-esque story of a lesbian couple, George and Ash, who move from Manchester to a remote farm that George has inherited from her family. They're very isolated, the villagers are kind of hostile, and the weird things start happening. Never thought I'd quote the Daily Mail on this podcast or um, anywhere, but but to quote a Daily Mail headline, it's about a lesbian couple haunted by ghosts. Now, if you haven't listened to Sour Hole yet and you might need some convincing, there are no spoilers in this interview. And frankly, it's really fascinating to hear from Laura if you're interested in audio, in writing, in storytelling, and um, bogarts. Laura and I chatted about her relationship with genre, the making of an immersive audio project, and the importance of empathy in storytelling. Sour Hall is a six-part horror audio series available now on Audible. I really, really enjoyed it. It's got an immersive, creepy feeling that genuinely sent chills down my spine. There was at least three or four moments where I literally had to throw my headphones off of my head because it was getting intense. I genuinely really recommend it. And for full effect, absolutely put your headphones on to get properly creeped out. With that said, please enjoy my conversation with Sour Hall's writer and director, Laura Curran Ashman. Laura, thank you so much for making the time to chat to me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm always tired. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be, it's going to be cool to talk to someone who actually knows horror. Well, um, I, I have to say, and we've spoken about this before, but it truly proper freaked me out, which is A, unusual for almost all horror stuff and B, very unusual for audio stuff. Yeah. So double congratulations on that on that front. Thanks. Yeah. It like it really <laughs> it really means a lot coming from you. I was like, I definitely want Anna to listen to it because like I feel like you're the only one of like the people that I know who's like like horror is like your thing. Um and it's not my thing. So I was like, I need Anna to tell me <laughs> if this is actually working on a sort of horror level. Um so yeah, it makes me really happy to hear that it it, it did for you. <laughs> I think I told you already, but yeah, it the first time uh halfway through the the drama. I don't really know how to call it. Had you call it an audio drama, a horror drama, um, an audio book? Yeah, I mean they like Audible calling them podcasts. But when I think of podcasts, okay. I think of like this, basically like people just chatting, like um nonfiction. Mm. Um so I just call it an audio series. It's a horror. Okay, let's series. call it that. Yeah. Let's but, stick yeah. with audio series. I like that because audio drama kind of seems a little old timey, but yeah, audio series it feels a bit archers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of hinted at it before, but I wanted to to ask you, what is your relationship with horror? Um, I mean, I've spent my whole life just being like, horror is not for me. I'm a massive baby. I, I just, I hate that sort of sick feeling of anticipation I find it very very stressful and like not not enjoyable um but I think sort of over the past you know few years with this kind of I guess the sort of like Jordan Peele school of horror where it's very much sort of the horror element is couched within this sort of 
wider psychological, socio-political context um, that I that I can get into, and I can really enjoy that because it's it, for me. I think it's horror. Horror that is purely designed to be horror. I can't enjoy because it feels like assaultive <laughs> i'm just like i don't want to sit in a dark room and like be assaulted for like two hours um because it feels like it's a lot of it is purely designed first and foremost to scare you to like give you nightmares for weeks and like make you shit your pants and i personally don't enjoy that i know that lots of people do um but with this sort of like yeah i guess like gentler kind of story horror um that's sort of seen this kind of wave in the past past like few years um yeah that works for me more because it, it it draws me in from a story and a character and a thematic point of view and then the horror kind of works as just another sort of s- storytelling element to support the the overall you know vision for the film um and it's not trying to like terrorize me in the same sort of direct way i guess if that makes any sort of sense so yeah in the last in the last few years i've been i've got into it more and sort of tested what i can like handle and it's i think that's that's mm. my groove <laughs> i found that that's the kind of horror <laughs> i can i can deal with um but i think i'm still traumatized from like i think the one horror that i saw in the cinema because i genuinely avoided it like the plague and then my friend um took me to see a film and basically just like didn't tell me what it was it was in the middle of the day and it was me and my friend and then this one guy down the front we were the only person in the cinema and it was the descent (laughs) (laughs) oh my god which is not a film that you want to go into blind. <laughs> like, and I have no, I have no gauge if p- people who are into horror, I don't know if that's actually a scary p- a film that horror fans find scary, but that film yeah. horrified. I spent the entire time just like punching my friend in the arm, just out of like stress <laughs> and rage and like hatred for the fact that she like was putting me through this. But also the thing with that, and that film has stayed with me so much, I think, because of the way the sort of fake out ending that it has, um, which is like the sort of, yeah, just like double whammy of like, you think mm. it's kind of okay. And then they, they, they like pull one last rug out from underneath you and it's just mm-hmm. complete despair. <laughs> like, and you're just like, oh god um so yeah but also like it has stayed with me so i do part of me suspects that it is actually a really good film but i've never rewatched it so i can't tell you but i do think about it a lot and it has stayed with me over the years not just because it was like an upsetting experience but as a sort of Mm. film i found it interesting um but yeah so that's 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 my that's so interesting. experience of horror. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, this is an, an an audio series project. So do you do you have an affinity for audio first projects like podcasts, audio dramas? You're <laughs> you're shaking your head like no. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like this is like vaguely unprofessional of me to say, but I'm still kind of just like unsure of like how the hell I got this job because I'm like (laughs) I don't know anything about audio I don't really listen to audio series I listen I have a few choice like podcasts that I listen to but most of them are just like yeah one or two people talking about something I find interesting Mm. um and yeah so like audio as a sort of genre is not something that I've ever sort of paid much attention to or or been particularly engaged with um so yeah I don't know how my first ever sort of series commission my first ever like big writing project um ended up being an audio horror (laughs) it's uh yeah I love it see it coming but here we are you know it's been great I mean (laughs) I find it doubly impressive that as someone who 
doesn't really um isn't really into audio first projects or isn't really that into horror although by the way that you describe it i feel like it's just it's it's by choice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you choose not to have your senses assaulted by films on a borderline daily basis like i yeah. do um it's a it's a life choice it's fine yeah. it's okay it's, it's, it's purely non-judgmental <laughs> i understand i understand like the psychology behind why people enjoy mm. horror but it just personally not for me what i mean to say is that i find it doubly impressive that you can create something that works so well in a media in the audio medium and within the horror genre without being a fan necessarily mm. of either one of those yeah Thanks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more in depth about Sour Hall because yeah. I've got a ton of questions, and um, we're not gonna we're gonna try to not spoil anything mm-hmm. because I want this episode to for anyone who hasn't heard about it, and this is mainly a film and TV podcast anyway. But I want people to listen to it, um, because I think it's it's really really creepy and it's really really great. So. What um can you tell me kind of about the the story behind this audio series? So as far as I understand, it's expanded from a chapter, a tale within a pre-existing project called Hag, yeah, right? Yeah. So Hag was basically an anthology um that Audible commissioned as a sort of um yeah, just an audio anthology of sort of feminist retellings of um English folk tales, basically. So a bunch of sh- writers were commissioned to sort of take an English folktale and create a new story from it. Um, and so Sour Hall was one of those stories. Um, so it was a, the short story is written by Naomi Booth, who is a Yorkshire writer. Um, so she <clears throat> sort of created the characters of Ash and George and this sort of moving to a farm and starting a, a dairy business and being tormented by a boggart. So all, all that sort of the framework of the story um came from Naomi Booth and then Audible I think um because they are doing much more sort of um original uh commissioning they took um decided that Sour Hall was the, the the story from Hag that they wanted to sort of um expand and commission a writer to turn into a, a full sort of uh dramatic mm. series um so yeah, and then that's 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 basically when when I came on board. Um, yeah. And how did you go about? How did you start approaching expanding this short story into a six part series? Um, it's it's kind of strange. A lot of people ask me this, and I still don't have like a a, a particularly good answer for it, other than like just making more of it. <laughs> like. It's, it's, <laughs> Because, I mean, the original short story is like 18 A4 pages when they sent it to me. How did you start approaching writing it for audio? Mm. Like, what was the main differences that you found in expanding uh, a short story, which, you know, essentially is the equivalent of a short film, into the equivalent of two feature films, a three-hour story? What was quite cool is that, like, because I hadn't written audio before, I was, like, quite worried about like I was just like I don't know how to write in this format like it took me long enough to learn how to write screenplays a very specific you know technical formatted document um and Audible were very much like don't worry so much about that you basically just have to obviously you know you remove the visual element but in terms of like how you format the script like um Mm approach it like a sort of normal screenplay and also you can write in you know character movement and because of the way that they knew that they wanted to record it they wanted to record it on location they wanted to record it in this very immersive way with this sort of 360 sound designs so they were like more so with this kind of this project you can kind of write it like a film because we will be able to like do the equivalent of like a tracking shot and we will mm. be able to like run with the characters and stuff like that so it, it it was a concern of mine at the beginning but very quickly that kind of fell away um mm-hmm. the one of the <laughs> sort of downsides in terms of just making it a, a a more intense task is that with when you remove all the visual elements from like a script <laughs> 
you basically have to write more. Um, so if you look at like a page of script for a visual film, like a lot of that is going to be like visual descriptions. You take all that out and you have a lot more space on the page that you have to then fill. Um, so it's, it's a lot more kind of actual writing, especially in terms of dialogue. But I think it was, it was cool for me because I, I, I'm a very dialogue heavy writer. That's naturally how I sort of write things, especially in a sort of first go. I, I tend to over rely on dialogue and then I end up having to like do a lot of editing. Um, so it was quite nice to have like the free reign of like, yeah, this is, this is all about the dialogue, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it can be shit or it can be, it's like, it has mm-hmm. to be. Um, and the other thing is that like you you have to be more naturally more expository um than you would with film so film is all about like Mm. show don't tell so like don't explain things to the audience if you can show it visually Mm -hmm. it makes the audience feel stupid (laughs) like um whereas like with audio because they do you don't have that visual stimulus you kind of have to use the dialogue to position people in the room to let people know like what is happening um so but you have to find the balance between doing that and making it sound awful so you can't be like oh here comes jim walking into the room like you know. step, step, step. <laughs> yeah stuff like that so it's like obviously that's a terrible example um but yeah you have to find a way to like let the, give the audience the information they need to understand like who is in the room what is happening what is the relation between mm. people like if there are objects, like what are those? Like just, you know, the basic sort of things that you would see immediately if you had the visuals to rely on. Um, mm. But again, without making it sound ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, so those were the kind of like biggest differences, I guess, between sort of writing for film and television um, and yeah, writing for audio. And then you you mentioned uh, you've already indicated the making of it with 360 sound. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about the actual directing of it and this approach to to making it with using this particular technology and what it meant for you to actually be thinking about it in that way? Because it is audio, but it's audio in a even as a listener, it felt incredibly creepy in a way that I couldn't pinpoint until I read up that it was recorded using 360 tech yeah. or I don't even know what the proper name for yeah, it is I mean I don't either. I mean basically it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's binaural 360 3d sound um fancy yeah. so it's basically like if if you are familiar with if anyone listening um is familiar with like ASMR videos um so it, it's it's basically cameras um sorry microphones that um capture sounds that makes it feel that as if the sound is happening to you in a very sort of like real way like it moves from ear to ear mm-hmm. it goes around the back of your head it can come in from different directions you can sort of you get a sense of how far away the source of the sound is or how close um so it's basically that but what um the thing that we used is um it's a dummy head um and basically what it is is it's a head that has been designed basically using like thousands of measurements of human heads to find like the average human head and then and then it has these sort of like silicone ears and they look this very very realistic they look and sort of feel like real human ears um and again those are sort of designed to be like the average human ear um so then what you have is a sort of dummy head that filters and records and processes sound the way that your actual head and ears do um so that's mm-hmm. why when you record around it what it does is it puts the listener physic very like physically and viscerally in that space um so what we use that for is um basically all the sort of bogart stuff um mm-hmm. and so basically whenever anyone, whenever the bogger is speaking or whenever anyone that the bogger is possessing is speaking, all that stuff we, we recorded, um, both with just like a normal boom mic and, mm-hmm. and with the, with the dummy head. Um, mm-hmm. so then when it comes to the sound mix, you can mix all that stuff in, you can layer it, you can move from like the bogger voice into the person that it's possessing and, you know, 
all this incredible stuff that Eloise from Naked Productions did in the in the mix. Um, she's an absolute wizard. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's that's yeah. kind of how the binaural sound worked, and yeah, it just it just results in a very kind of immersive, creepy, visceral effect when you don't have the visuals to rely on. But obviously, as I'm sure you know, like sound design is such a huge part of horror, you know, on film and TV, you know, sound is a very thing that makes us feel very strongly. Um, so when, yeah. when all you have is audio to rely on, it was just mm -hmm. another sort of like tool in the, in the box basically to, yeah, just make it as creepy as possible and have voices move from one ear to the other and feel like it's on the back of your neck or suddenly come at you from a distance, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. No, like even as you talked about it, I fell down on the nip of my neck again and, and no thank you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you because I've seen the pictures of the filming on an actual farm mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, what was it like to direct it? Because I, I would always imagine and all the audio stuff that I've seen or listened to has usually been recorded in studios, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of in South Boots, whatever. So it seemed like quite an unusual way to approach recording an, an audio series can you talk a little bit about like how was it was it valuable did it add to it um and how was it to to be on location with actors and with the with the binaural dummy but still only be capturing sound yeah it was it's really really rare um it basically just never happens that you record audio on location because mm. i mean audio is kind of like it's a very cheap medium <laughs> for a reason you know you basically just need you know a sound booth and a microphone and that's it but I think Audible were very very into this idea of like if we're gonna do a horror we want to do everything possible to make it as sort of immersive and realistic and and creepy as possible um And so, yeah, they basically facilitated us being able to stay on a farm in Yorkshire. Um, and this was in October. So we had, like, did all the COVID testing and we basically like, formed a mm -hmm. bubble. Um, and yeah, I think it was, it was incredibly valuable for both me and the actors. And so this, again, was another first for me and... Uh, wonderful that Audible sort of put their faith in me and allowed me to direct it because I'd never directed uh, fiction before. I've made a few documentaries, um, but this was my first time sort of working with actors. So for me, mm -hmm. it was it was an incredible sort of introduction to that and sort of like the perfect sort of introduction because because it is audio and it's, you're not having to worry about like the visual elements, you're not having to worry about the cinematography and the sets and the locations and, you know, the, the blocking in the same way. Like my job was purely just to work with the actors. Um, so it was, it was amazing for me to have sort of the, all the other pressures that would come with, you know, making a short film, for example, um, lifted mm -hmm. away and just be like, this is your first time working with actors, but, that's all you have to worry about so that was incredible and then yeah it was just valuable for both me and the actors to be actually on location because I think when you're recording audio and you're just in a sort of like blank <laughs> you know dark sound booth it requires a lot of imagination on on the mm. actor's part and on the director's part um and also you don't have the the, the sort of physical sounds of you know location to kind of ground you it's just like on the script it's just like oh you're on a farm and wind is howling and so you kind of you have to conjure all that stuff up for your yourself you know um but we could actually do that stuff we could be outside mm. and we could have we had the wind howling and it would be cold and it would be raining and Mm -hmm. you would just be in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire um so all that stuff I think really helped with um the the actors to sort of yeah just ground them in the location and and help them to sort of embody the the, the characters and the situations a lot more and all, mm -hmm. all the actors were just like absolutely thrilled like a to be like out of the house <laughs> like just you know in a pandemic and be able to doing something because most of them have been like recording stuff like 
in their closets under duvets for months. <laughs> um, and yeah, none of them had ever recorded um, mm. uh, audio on location in, in, in quite this immersive way. Um, and yeah, it just sort of, it was just wonderful. It just sort of felt like we were at this like weird kind of like camp, like <laughs> not summer because <laughs> it was October and it was freezing. Um, but like, winter camp. yeah, we, winter, winter camp. camp. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and we were all staying together and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was so much fun. And so can you talk a little bit about your actors, um, Lucy Fallon and, and Pearl Mackey? Yeah. Like, what was the casting process like for them with them um i mean the casting process was like pretty straightforward i mean i was not massively in- involved in that basically like between audible and the production company who have much more experience um with sort of actors and voice actors specifically and actors who, who do a mm-hmm. lot of voice work so they have their own kind of databases of people that they think would be good um, and then so they would send me sort of like a long list and then let me make make short short lists and and yeah so that's that's you know and, and then obviously there are like specific things like obviously Ash is black and very much a city girl and whereas like mm. Lucy is the one who is actually from Yorkshire so it had to be an actor with that kind of accent or who could do that kind of accent mm. and also with the two because it is so much of it is a two-hander you have to take into consideration mm. like their voices have to be can't be too similar. They have to have very, but they also have to be complementary. You know, they have to sound nice together, but also be easily extinguishable. Um, ex- mm. Extinguishable? That's not the word. Distingu- distinguishable. Distinguishable. That's the one. <laughs> um, I don't want to extinguish anyone. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So that was that was kind of the 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 casting process. Um, and then, yeah, a lot with most of the other sort of smaller parts, most of them, yeah, were all had to have, be able to do those kind of Yorkshire and Northern accents. Mm. Um, and yeah, and have that the right voice for the age of the characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so it, it wasn't a particularly sort of involved or strenuous casting process. Um, mm. Just we were chatting a little, a little bit about this before we hit record, but like, what was it like? Um, directing them in that secluded atmosphere and only capturing audio and i'm talking about kind of the the whole cast in general because Mm. even though they carry the majority of the story it's it's not just them and they're not the the creepiest elements yeah 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 um yeah it was i think it was it was amazing for the actors to yeah just physically be there but also i think so basically the kind of the, the two actors who the two characters that are sort of the creepiest are like obviously the bogger and then um the character of Thomas who's a, a farmhand um on on the farm who just has a kind of lurking vaguely menacing uh presence um sort of up until the penultimate episode when um his character sort of comes to a head and a very dramatic and creepy um scenario um and that was a so the bogger was just like the first time we heard the bogger voice we did so we did the first thing we did was like a a live read through just we all sat in a room and read through the entire series from beginning to end and the first time it came to um andy doing the bogger voice he was just like oh you know so this is just something i've just been like workshopping like let me know if it's shit or not um and then just like launched like right into like the bogger voice that you hear Breathe it in, old man. The smoke will curdle your lungs. And we were just like, oh my... And like, he like embodied it like so physically, like he looked like Gollum. Um, and everyone in the room was just like, that's horrifying. Like, how did you just come up with that by yourself? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and then it's <laughs> so funny because he's literally the loveliest man you've ever met in your life. And just like, so polite and charming and just like so we'd like go into the bogger voice and then like snap out of it and be like uh was that good <laughs> and you're just like what's happening right now <laughs> um so yeah i just i had i didn't have to do any work in terms of like working on that <laughs> just came with that like fully prepared we were like yeah that's spectacular um and then uh so the guy who plays um thomas is the guy from chewing gum 
the first season of chewing gum her like sort of like dim-witted basically like her like himbo boyfriend like the shit poet on the estate <laughs> like the sweetest but just not very bright <laughs> like that's that's the guy who plays thomas um i'm not over this information <laughs> <laughs> so he and he was talking about like how both him and andy were talking about how lovely and like refreshing it is for like them as actors to play like awful characters um or just creepy characters or villains or just you know so yeah so rob was talking about how especially for him because i think he's most known for like that particular character it was just like really cool and really nice to sort of stretch his acting muscles and play Mm. something that's like basically the polar opposite of that character um but yeah it was it was and i think like what's cool about that that binaural sound that dummy head is that like Mm. it kind of is like a person so it's like this head on a pole so like when we're recording there's a a, the scene in in episode five where thomas's character is is, you know incredibly creepy towards ash um she is in a Mm -hmm. situation where he's like sort of circling her and coming at her from all different angles so like when we were recording that we were like in a field which is where the scene takes place and um rob was like walking around the dummy head and coming in close and moving mm-hmm. away and basically acting against the dummy head as if it was ash um and then when we recorded ash's part he was acting against ash so it it, it was it was like almost like you know we were filming it it was kind of really we were acting it out very physically mm-hmm. um and the same with like when there's a scene where ash gets buried um by snow and um so we like put the dummy head like under these blankets and you know tried to get that muffled sound to for to record the bogger um parts um and similarly like we put the, bog- the dummy head like in beds and things like that so mm. all, all that kind of stuff just like really helped like both me and the actors and the eventual um sound mix um to yeah just be really really effective hopefully and just really feel like the listener is in really there and especially with ash because mm-hmm. so much of the story is is you know we're experiencing it via ash um and she's the sort of surrogate for the audience so all that stuff really helps mm-hmm. you know the audience to kind of really be in the moment with ash and feeling what she's feeling and experiencing what she's experiencing Oh, absolutely. And um, I think kind of for me, one of the the hidden powers of the story that doesn't really have to do with horror is Ash's uh, empathy and how she is able to feel for almost everyone around her in the story and becomes kind of our surrogate as well for that. What was your what was your thinking behind making her such an empathetic character? Um, empathy is just like a sort of obsession of mine. It's really kind of shaped, I guess, my sort of like general life ideology, but also the sort of ideology mm-hmm. that I apply to storytelling and the kind of stories that I want to put out in the world. And I feel like last year, you know, the first sort of first sort of half of last year and the first few months of of, of lockdown was a personal mm-hmm. process of me really kind of solidifying yeah just what my sort of storytelling ideology um is and a lot of that has to do with this sort of obsession with empathy and also kind of I'm constantly trying to you know figure out what you know I call myself like a femme gaze hope punk storyteller (laughs) and hope punk is um a phrase that I came across um last year that really just sort of perfectly summed up all this stuff that I had been thinking about and so basically hope punk is a a term that sort of um was started by a writer on tumblr and sort of specifically talking about sort of um fantasy and sci-fi and genre that kind of genre fiction Mm -hmm. and it was basically the antithesis of like grimdark so grimdark would be like Mm. game of thrones you know like Mm -hmm everything's awful people are terrible everyone's stabbing each other in the back like you have to be manipulative and you have to play the game and you know it's all about like betrayal and just like the absolute worst qualities of humanity (laughs) um which is like very compelling and interesting and rich stuff to explore from a storytelling perspective 
Um, but it is a very depressing and bleak worldview when you sort of, because obviously we, we use fiction to understand ourselves and the world around us. You know, that's, that's literally what we, what fiction is for from the very earliest myths and religions. It's all telling stories about us to help us understand. Um, and so the sort of fiction that we, we consume or the fiction that sort of is what it, you know the current zeitgeist um, in Game of Thrones did kind of like dominate television for so many years, and it was also the same kind of period that like all the kind of really dark Batman films came out. For example, it was this very very dark period of like storytelling, and also very very masculine storytelling as well. Um, very gritty. Yeah, that was the buzzword. Yeah, yeah, gritty. yeah. And and that kind of like it's like oh, it, if it's it's dark, then it's therefore worthier than like other forms of storytelling because it's gritty mm -hmm. and it's realistic and like it doesn't pull punches and it doesn't sugarcoat anything and I'm just like okay but like I feel like we've kind of exhausted that I think as the actual real world gets <laughs> increasingly awful in 5,000 different ways um and I personally just found myself getting really exhausted with this kind of storytelling. Um, and I think that was sort of a common theme, I think, and, and especially, I think, from, like, women and feminine people and just basically anyone who's not just, like, a middle-aged cishet white dude. <laughs> like, um, people just like, okay, but, like, is this all there is? Is this the pinnacle of storytelling? Um so I think that sort of hope punk was sort of born out of like, okay, so what is the polar opposite of this kind of grim, dark storytelling? And, and how can we take the, the, the elements of this kind of storytelling and the things we love about it? And how can we apply that to the real world? So hope punk is basically mm. the idea that actually the hardest and bravest thing you can do is really truly care about people and things and you believe that the world can be a better place and fight for it every single day and it's not just about one lone hero fighting the big battle and then there's just one big battle and then everything's fine like hope punk acknowledges that the world does not work that way it's it's a daily practice you have to wake up every day and choose to be you know try your best to be the best version of yourself and do good things and stand up for other people and love and care and have a foster a sense of community and selflessness instead of selfishness and mm. all these things that are like so often coded as like feminine traits and and mm -hmm. all of it boils down to like empathy right um and i've sort of just become obsessed with this idea that like empathy is so coded as like a feminine thing when really like it's like it absolutely should not be that way because humanity does not operate without empathy okay like empathy is what our brains developed in order to be able to see other people as similar to ourselves and that is the basis for all human connection and relationships mm. and society and you know everything that makes us you know differentiates us from like you know animals <laughs> even animals have empathy mm -hmm. sorry i'm rambling um but <laughs> um so yeah so like empathy is always something that that i you know just like comes out in my storytelling and i'm very into this idea mm -hmm. of sort of positioning empathy as a kind of superpower you know as, as something that is incredibly powerful and healing and so integral but it's something that people just don't mm. really talk about that much it's sort of taken as a given but it's like they've scientifically proven that like basically empathy is declining <laughs> like within the human race and has been for like decades and decades um and if you think about all the world's problems everything boils down to a lack of empathy i i couldn't agree more and it's uh it's somewhat of a of a personal obsession as well mm. and in the way that it shows and storytelling what i found really interesting about sour hole is that it's both um very directly articulated as like empathy is the superpower or the kind of um the need for both george and ash to mend their relationship and talk to each other uh but also the thing that will unite them to face the the, the supernatural horror yeah. that they're being um What's the word that they're being haunted by? Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit as well about 
the way that Sour Hall kind of addresses trauma, mm-hmm. which is the other big theme in it. And without spoiling the details of the story, it's it's addressed through a myriad of different ways and a myriad of different characters. How did you want to t- tackle a subject that is often taboo and is quite difficult to tackle in in film and TV, in any fiction, really, through the medium of horror? So, I mean, I think this is the case for, like, any kind of genre storytelling. Um, but I think, you know, for for horror as well, I think the, the supernatural elements, the paranormal, the just, like, sort of heightened devices that come with sort of genre storytelling, they're all metaphors, right? They're all metaphors for... Mm-hmm the darkest parts of the human psyche or and whether that's what people the worst things that people do to each other or the worst things that we do to ourselves internally the the, our subconscious our shadow selves our baggage our trauma our insecurities our deepest fears and anxieties um this kind of genre telling storytelling takes those very internal things and like manifests them in the real world whether it's via monsters or ghosts or you know whatever it is um so yeah so so sour hall is kind of no different and all those kind of elements of unresolved trauma and that being such a central theme was like in the original story from naomi booth um so i just sort of like took that stuff and just really ran with it and um the boggart was always kind of a physical manifestation of their both both um George and Ash's unresolved trauma, you know, George's sort of childhood and what she experienced on the farm, and Ash's kind of more recent trauma that she's um experienced in, in the last year or so that she brings with her to Sour Hall. And the Boggart sees Ash as a threat and therefore uses um this sort of fresh trauma that she's brought with her in a suitcase basically um to try and drive her away um and as a way of punishing george um so there's also sort of like weird jealousy complex Mm -hmm. things going on from the bogger as well which i feel like we don't get much of i feel like supernatural elements are often just used as a this is a way to torment the humans you know Mm -hmm. um Whereas, like, I tried to treat the bogger as, like, a character in and of itself with needs and desires and a history and a personality and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's it's basically like a, a sort of three-hander in that way. There's sort of three people in that relationship um, mm-hmm. and the three of them have to find a way to, you know communicate basically and to reach a a place of shared understanding if they are going Mm. to survive this you know um I think because I approached it in that way and sort of from this sort of femme gaze perspective and always thinking about like empathy and emotion and the characters and the relationships I think that's hopefully how I've avoided it being gratuitous which so much of Mm. sort of especially trauma directed towards or experienced by women I think especially in horror as well um often it feels like it's it's Mm. purely being done to like torment them for some sort of sick pleasure (laughs) of the audience um whereas like this you know I'm, I'm really hoping that none of it feels gratuitous and that it feels um you know earned and is the place that it is leading towards um, kind Mm. of makes up for and feels healing for the trauma that they've experienced and that the audience have sort of experienced alongside them. As a non-horror fan, uh, and I mentioned at at the beginning of our chat that I found it so impressive that you made it so genuinely creepy and terrifying without um, loving really the genre. And, and, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't think that any artist, filmmaker, writer needs to be a fan of the genre that they're writing on necessarily. But I wanted to ask you kind of without the baggage that comes, the referential baggage that comes or the tropes and all of those things, how did you, how did you approach making it creepy? Like, how did you find the horrific 
in in Sour Hall. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it all came from character. I think, you know, character is everything in any kind of storytelling of, of this kind, um, of any kind, to be honest. Um, you know, the plot needs to come from the character. The relationship needs to come from the characters. The horror needs to come from the characters. Um, so I think that's why... It, once I actually sort of got over my whole like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know horror. Like, why was I chosen for this? Like, once I sort of got into the actual writing of it and the sort of um, coming up with like what 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 was actually going to happen, um, you know, it at its core, it's still just very basic sort of storytelling um, mm-hmm. skills. It's, it's you know, it's like it's, you have to know your character well to understand what will scare them. So it wasn't that I was like, oh, I need to like reference a bunch of stuff or I need to use these kind of horror tricks. Um, I need to start from a place of like, okay, so Ash is a queer black woman moving to the middle of nowhere in like rural Yorkshire. She's surrounded by white people. She doesn't know anyone. She's a city girl. She's just, Mm. she's had recently had a traumatic experience that she's, you know, recovering from and sort of in in denial about in a lot of ways um what about all of that what in all of that is going to like scare her and therefore because the audience is hopefully if i've done my job right (laughs) it's with ash it's going to scare the audience as well um and also like what is what is very specifically scary for women you know um the this the the scene involving sort of um Thomas and the bogger and Ash in, in a field is was very much just me as a woman being like, what is one of the worst situations within these parameters of the story that I can imagine? And it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. that feeling of helplessness, of being stuck, of being surrounded by someone who you know has ill intention towards you and you are utterly at their, you know, un- under their power, basically. <laughs> you can't do anything about it and they are they are very specifically taunting and tormenting you in very sort of like gendered ways. Um, so mm. it, it was, yeah, it all came from sort of character and just like just like the basics of storytelling. And I think, you know, I think that's what, what any genre, when it works, it comes from those places. It's It's not just a tick list of like genre tropes or you know horror tricks or you know and then the sort of and then the sort of like that stuff comes from that so you know we have like we do have stuff like jump scares and bangs and you know things that I was like okay they're in a kitchen what would be scary to happen what would be a scary supernatural thing to happen in the kitchen you're like oh like all the cupboards bang open I think that was actually in the original story so it's like stuff like that and you're like, okay, that also works for a, an audio point of view. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was, it all came from, from character and emotion and psychological stuff. And then everything else on top of that is sort of window dressing. I'm conscious of your time. So to it's wrap fine, up. I have no life. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have more to do than I do. <laughs> it's all good. Um, no, I mean, I could, I could talk about the series for a while, because I'm so curious about the way that it was made as well. But I don't want to spoil too many details of it. It's out now. So all of the episodes are out now online on Audible. Mm -hmm. But what do you hope people get from it when they listen to it? I hope that it feels refreshing in terms of yeah, this sort of femme gaze, hope punk approach to horror, and also just just simple things like it's a story about lesbians, and neither one of them dies, <laughs> like, <laughs> or like there's you know there's not trauma and tragedy that is specific to them being queer, or that is like specific mm. to ash being black like obviously it, it creeps in and it, it's referenced but it's it's not trauma porn based on you know any of those things that characters like that are often sort of often characters like that have to like 
earn their place within the story in terms of the dramatic worth that they provide. And that dramatic worth is so often tied to the trauma of their specific identities. And I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted to write a story that the trauma that they're, you know, experiencing is, 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 yeah, just more generalized or it's, it's just, it's not specifically tied to race or sexuality or, you know, all the things that those people are, you know, historically um, punished for. Um, and also, yeah, just to sort of show that, like, something can be scary and have a happy ending. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, I hope that's not too spoilery, but it's like, it's, it's, it's very, like, you know, it's sort of, I don't know. It's just, it's, that was very important to me to be like, okay, if I'm going to do a horror and do an audio series and feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, like what is going to moor me and what is going to like anchor me and make this still feel like a Laura Cohen Ashman project. And so that's, that's the kind of stuff that I, I feel like I specifically brought to it and sort of added to it to make it sort of, this new iteration of, of a pre-existing story um so yeah so I hope that people sort of listen to it and feel like oh I didn't expect that and that feels really that feels good and like yeah it, it was mm. it's a horror story and it's about trauma and it is very upsetting in a, in a lot of ways but I actually feel good and I feel hopeful and I feel like I have some faith in humanity <laughs> but at the end of it which is not I feel like not the general vibe that people walk away from from horror with I guess I don't know you tell me I mean it, I feel like usually it's like oh everything's awful <laughs> like well, you know, sometimes the best horrors also leave you hopeful. Yeah. It's more like a uh, hopeful horror, but I think a lot of it as well comes from the creators. Yeah. And even as I was listening to it, and even knowing that horror is not necessarily your jam, it did feel like a you project. So I think that definitely comes through. But for anyone who may have not seen your previous work before, where can people find more of your work online? Yeah, so... um my very limited <laughs> work is um you can find it on pump yourself up I mean, laura there's just like not that much <laughs> of it um but so you can go to uh laura k-a.com it's my website you can see my sort of little documentaries that i've made um you can find me on twitter at laura underscore k underscore a and instagram at laura k underscore a Amazing. Thank you so much for for your time today. Thanks, Sarah. This was so fun.